Thea, how's everyone feeling? You good? Everyone's happy and healthy? Except for 50% of kids in our city right now who are all out with that upper respiratory cold. We should just say a prayer for them, I tell you. I feel like our kids have had some type of cold for the past month. Is that just, that's just the way it is, yeah? Okay, praise the Lord. We'll just thank him for every season, right? Uh, okay, hey, I'm gonna open us with a scripture today. And so uh, this is from the book of James chapter one and Hebrews chapter 10. And it just kind of all builds together into our, our message for today. So this is the word of the Lord. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask and be sure that your faith is in God alone. Let me say that one more time. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So, Hebrews chapter 10, so let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Welcome back, everyone. So glad you're here. So happy to see you in this house. I love this church so much, and I'm so grateful to be your pastor. If you don't know me, oh, come on. If you don't know me, my name is David, and, uh, and I'm just really, really thrilled to uh, be sharing from the scriptures today. Just a quick special happy birthday to my friend and yours, Mr. Robert Thomas. We love you. I just want to say, Robert, 45 has never looked so good, okay? And I saw, did you, did you climb a mountain yesterday? Did, you climbed a mountain this morning. All right, so I, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna sing the birthday song, but if you just wanna give him a, a quick like high five or a hug, or do you remember when you're in school, like you used to do the birthday spanking line? I don't think that's okay anymore, right? <laughs> that used to be a thing, right? It, was a th it wasn't just a Wisconsin thing, was it? It was a Wisconsin thing? Oh, you Californians, you're so progressive. <laughs> Anyway, just make sure you give him some love. Robert, we love you. We're so grateful for you and your family. We're grateful for all of the years that you have helped steward this church and help shape and shepherd and build up the foundation of what is to come. And so we're so grateful for you, Robert. Thank you. All right, two other quick things before we get into it. A uh, special welcome to the Balcony crew, Delbuses. Great to see you up there. Hello, friends. Welcome up there. We're so glad that you're here. A special welcome to everyone joining us online. We're so glad that you're watching online. I'm glad that you're not here if you're sick. Praise the Lord for that. Um, for the last year, we've been doing uh, prayer and worship nights the first Sunday of every month, and we did it for 12 months. And so starting this month, I don't know if you've heard about this, but we're pressing pause until January. And so we're going to be kind of regrouping, rethinking about how to best lead these moments of prayer and worship on Sunday nights. And so don't come here tonight unless you just want to stand outside. Um, it's up to you. It's a beautiful day. Um, but just as a heads up, don't come tonight. We'll let you know when the next one's coming after the first of the year. Um, the last announcement is the first Sunday of every month, we typically gave to our Benevolent Fund, which is our fund to help care for those in need, both in our community and our city. But we are pretty flush in that fund right now. So you've probably heard that we're asking, if you want to give above and beyond, your tithes, your offerings, if you want to give above and beyond, we ask that you give to our building fund right now. 
We've got a whole lot of projects that we've had to do this past year, including one that's still coming up. It's uh, our cooling tower that runs our air conditioning. Um, it's it's in uh, you know 65 years old or something like that, and so it just takes some it'll take some time to repair and it's gonna be an expensive repair. And so um, if anyone is giving above and beyond today, we ask that you give to the building fund. If you give to Benevolent, that's cool um, and that's great, um, but we are, we're doing pretty great with that amount of money, but we do need some for the building fund. So anyway, there we go. Let's get to it. Um, as many of you know, I grew up the son of a pastor in the great state of Wisconsin. And while Wisconsin has contributed much to the whole of society, from cheese curds to beer to the Republican Party, actually started in Ripon, Wisconsin, to the abundantly flat countryside with a whole lot of barns. Where I grew up, there wasn't always a lot happening. And so sports was a really big deal. And I suppose it's probably that way with most small, mid-sized towns. But high school, college, college sports were huge, but even more so were like the pro teams that represented our state. And so we had, um, out of Milwaukee and out of, and out of Green Bay. And, and you could actually tell, like, the obsession with pro sports in our, in our area was so, so intense that you could actually track what season it was in the year based on what jerseys people were wearing to church, okay? It was a real, it was a real thing, from the Brewers to the Bucks to the Packers. Sports in small-town America is the real thing. Anyway, now my dad, always wanting to make much of his witness, he decided early on that the best way to approach sports as a pastor is to not get too in to any specific team. Because if you're a diehard for any team in particular, you're bound to frustrate someone somewhere. So the advice was always root for the home team. Root for the home team. Wherever you are, root for the home team so you can share Jesus with them. Pretty awesome, right? Amazing. Now, but his, his advice stuck with me, and so I did. Wherever I went, I aligned myself with the home team. When I was living in Wisconsin, I rooted for the Packers. Praise the Lord. When I moved to Minnesota, I shifted over to the Vikings. Now, when I moved back to Wisconsin, what did I do? Back to the Packers. Now I moved to California. Who am I rooting for? The Rams. Come on now. I root for the Rams. It's the home team. Now, when I was in Wisconsin, I was also a Milwaukee Bucks fan, and it was a good season to be a Milwaukee Bucks fan because there in 2019, they were doing really well. Jeff, are you in here? Yeah, Jeff, Blen they were doing really well in 2019. Giannis was blowing it up, right? And so I got the hat, I would get the shirt, and I would like watch the games, and I would text all my friends who were really into the Milwaukee Bucks. I was supered up, super fired up for the home team. But then, friends, we moved to Los Angeles. Again, we move out here, and Los Angeles has the, the Lakers. Some people say they have the Clippers, but not really, right? It's just the Lakers. <laughs> And so par for the course, I was embracing my new life here, and I, I knew that I had to become a Laker fan. And I was cool with that. Why? Because I root for the home team, okay? It's what I do. There's no stress in that. I've already decided I'm going to root for the home team. So there was no problem with it. That is until we had the opportunity to see the Lakers. Right before COVID shut the world down, and guess who they were playing? The Milwaukee Bucks. And so I instantly felt this, this, like, this tension, like my loyalties were being tested. I, st I still had my Bucks hat out, right? But now Becca, she came back from the store and she brought us Lakers shirts. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, what team am I going to represent? What team will I be cheering for? Which team will I be wearing? Like, which, what will I be wearing? And I know it might sound dumb, but I honestly felt this, this check in my spirit from the old to the new lives. Still in the end, we went to the game. 
and we picked the Lakers. Why? Because the Lakers are my home team now. So I had to wear the shirt to show my loyalty. I had to align myself with my new team, even if it was hard because I still had connections from my former life. I was only here for a couple months. I had to pick the new team even though I even though I still had connections and fondness and familiarity toward my former team, my former life, I had to be loyal to where I was now, just like I had to be loyal to who I am here and now. But it was hard. It was hard. And, and y'all, as I was as preparing for this, this message, we've been reading this book of Colossians for the past six weeks. As I was preparing for this morning, I kept coming back to this thought, and maybe it connects with you, but for me, it's really easy to be loyal to something or someone or somewhere. It's easy to be loyal when there's no competition coming up against your loyalty. It's easy to be, to, to be loyal and root for the home team when you've got no connection with who your team now is playing against. It's easy to be loyal and bringing it even down to earth here. It's easy to be loyal to T-Mobile when you're not seeing that Verizon has given away free phones. It's easy to be loyal to your husband or to your wife when you don't have temptation coming at you from work. Just like it's easy to stay true to your faith when things are simple, when things are easy. It's easy to be loyal to your faith when it doesn't cost you something. But when the past comes knocking, and now you actually, to, you actually have to close the door on your former life, Staying loyal to the commitment you made, to the new life, to the place that you now call home, can be a whole lot harder. It can be a whole lot harder. Still, this is the expectation that we've seen throughout the book of Colossians. That God not only wants you to live a life of fidelity, of undivided loyalty to him, his house, his mission. He, he not only wants that for you, he actually demands it from you. And all of his people. But why? Why does loyalty matter so much to God? I mean, we live in a world where faithfulness is just about as fluid as the waves of the ocean. We live in a world where our commitments are taken so lightly that we buy out contracts. So why does God care about commitments? Well, to put it simply, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God cares about loyalty because he is a fiercely loyal God. He is a God of covenant he is a God, like we heard in Hebrews 10, that always keeps his promises. It's just who he is. We heard Manny read earlier from Romans 8 that there is no, oh, from Jeff, Pastor Jeff earlier from Romans 8, that there is nothing that separates us from his commitments to us. There is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from his faithful, unending love and loyalty. And so if our God, if our God is unconditionally devoted to us, and he defines the rules of his house for his people, then undivided loyalty to him is what he in turn expects. Which is, again, what we read just a moment ago from our opening scriptures in James and Hebrews 10. I'm just going to read it one more time. It says, Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So, Hebrews 10. So let us hold tight. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Does everyone know that God can be trusted? 
there's one thing I need you to remember today, I just want it to be this. That because of the saving work of Jesus, because he rescued you from the dark of your former life, and brought you into this new reality with new rules defined by his marvelous light. Because he died for you, it's time for you to now die to yourself. So you can live new with integrity. So you can live your life as Jesus did and begin to see this new home that we've been given, this reality with Christ as the foundation and inspiration for everything you do. This is the overall concept for today. No more messing around. No more playing the field. No more fair weather fans with divided loyalties between God and the world. No, the old life is gone. It's dead. Your old reality is gone. It's been sacrificed on the altar to God. You are new, so now it's up to you to live faithful, devoted, and loyal. Because you, and this is it, you were saved for loyalty to Jesus. You were saved to be loyal to the gospel. And this is what Paul is getting at as we make our way back around to the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be digging into chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 15 today. Quite a bit of Bible. Super worth it. Stick with it. If you're kind of new to church or the Bible, here's kind of how we will be approaching our passage for today. I'm going to be reading it straight through. And then we'll go back to unpack some of the nuance or the context that Paul was speaking to. Why? So we might come to a fuller understanding of how to live faithful. We're reading this so we can understand not just what was happening in first century Middle East, but rather so we can come out today with a fuller understanding of Christ and loyalty to his kingdom. Sound good? All right, so we're going to be reading starting in verse 1. It says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now, it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, 
which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, what do we learn? Okay. So for six weeks, again, we've been processing this, this, uh, this message and what Paul is speaking to, really specific challenges facing the church in Colossae. Challenges that often left them like rooting for the wrong team or living with divided loyalties. And there are three of them. If you want to throw them up there real quick, Gavin. We had the, the, the three main challenges were legalism from the Jewish Christians of the church. Legalism, which is essentially saying that salvation comes through, through Jesus plus your good works. It's not just grace. It's Jesus plus your good works. This is the legalism that was in the church. There was mysticism that came from the Eastern Christians who were what, what's called proto-Gnostics of the church. And they said that salvation was essentially, that it, salvation came from Jesus or other gods, other spirits, equal spirits to Jesus. And then finally, the syncretism that was existing came from the Roman Gentile Christians of the church, which believed that salvation was essentially from Jesus and other gods. Where the mystics, it was Jesus or other gods. The Romans wanted to make sure they had their bases covered. So it was Jesus plus all these other gods just to make sure that they got where they wanted to go. And so you can see immediately how these challenges could create some problems for loyalty in the church. Because each one of these groups were essentially saying Jesus plus something else. It was Jesus plus something. But friends, our faith that we were saved for with... Uh, we were, we were saved for complete, undivided loyalty to Christ. And this leaves no room for secondary allegiances or backup plans. Our faith says that it's only Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. There is no other name. There's no other power. There's no other priority. There's no other home for God's people. From here on out, it's always only Jesus, which is why Paul starts by saying this in verse 1. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, since you are attached to Jesus now, you've been raised to new life with him, not just independent of him. You're with him. Paul says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where he, Jesus Christ, sits on the place, in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, how about that for some correction, some context, right? Where the legalistic Jews in the community would get distracted looking down at all the stuff that they felt they were responsible for. And the mystics, they were just looking around at every possible spirit that might come and help them. And then the, the Romans, they were looking at all the different gods, then placing them all at the same level with God. Paul saying, okay, listen. Church, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, you got to know two things. Yeah, we got we to look up, definitely. Jews, get your eyes in the air and look to the realities of heaven. Absolutely. But second, when you look up, you need to recognize that Jesus and only Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. There is, no, there is no other gods with him. There are no spirits or angels or random deities hanging out as peers with Jesus. No, it's just the Father and the Son. It's just Jesus. All hail King Jesus. Amen. And he loves you and he's committed to you. This is what Paul is saying. Jesus, he loves you and he's committed to you. So, verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Leave legalism and mysticism and syncretism behind. Those are the ways of the world. Think of the things of heaven, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, he will share in all his glory. And I love this, once again, creating context for the church and for us. Verse 3. If you are a Christian, 
We've said this a lot over the past six weeks. If you're a Christian, your former life is gone. It's new. You're new. The real life is now irrevocably attached to Jesus Christ. Your old life is gone. He is your life now. I have been crucified with Christ, and now I live. Jesus is now your reality and where you belong. And because you no longer belong to the world, because you no longer have any obligation to your former way of life, Paul says in verse 5, he says, put to death the sinful things. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with the former things. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, God, the anger of God is coming. Verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now it's time to get rid of it. It's time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. Why? For you have stripped off your sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. You are not who you once were were. This is Colossians 3. Now you belong to a new way, a new home, and a new reality. So verse 10, so put on your, your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Now, something kind of cool for all the kind of like history context nerds in the room. Jeff, help. Where are Jeff? Jeff, you're in the back. Thank you. Uh, Something kind of cool about the imagery from verse 9 and 10 that I didn't previously know, but Pastor Jeff filled me in. He said that, that Paul brings in this word picture in chapter 3, a word picture of, of stripping off and putting on. And this language, it was actually referring directly to clothing. So what's this all about? Well, just like me going to see the Lakers, right? Having to choose which clothes I'll wear to represent my team, to who I'll be loyal to. In the first century, your clothes also helped reveal your allegiance. For example, with the mystics of the East, they would, often, um, they would often come in with these elaborate robes and this clothing rituals that, the, that they would take on and they would put off during worship. And so now here's Paul, and he's like, all right, listen, you've already stripped off your old nature. You're new. Stop putting on your old clothes, your old robes for worship. No, instead, put on your new nature, Clothe yourself with Christ. Why? Because Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. And I love how when he hits verse 11, um, I love how this would have hit uh, the, the Jewish Christians in the church as well hanging out because the Jewish Christians would have, would have automatically assumed like that they were the top tier of the church. And so in here, starting in verse 11, she says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, if you're circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Again, reaffirming this, that Christ is all that matters. You're new, and he lives in all of us. He lives in all of us, and Christ, he chose you. He chose you regardless of where you've been, what you've done, what you know, what you don't know. He chose you to be the holy people he loves. He did the work. Jesus did this for you. He chose you to be holy, so now it's up to you to be holy. To live set apart. Now it's up to you to be faithful to the commitment, the confession that saved you. He did the work, and now it's up to you to be loyal. And this is the correction 
This is the encouragement that we see in the book of Colossians, but specifically here in chapter three. Christ is all that matters. He lives in all of us. Put to death the sinful garbage lurking within you and put on your new nature as you learn to become like Jesus, who is your life now. Colossians 3, 1 through 15, summed up as be loyal to the one who saved you. Be loyal to the one who saved you. Amen? Root for the home team. Got it. If you're anything like me, I never want that on anyone, but if you're anything like me, with just the regular pace of life, the rhythms of, of this human experience, it can be hard to live faithful. It can be hard to stay focused. It can be hard to live, like James says, with undivided loyalties. Even when God, our God, has proven himself time and time again that he is with us and his way is better, we can all so often begin to lean back into the former way of life. You know, to give God our heart, but only part of it. To give God our life, but only a piece of it. So what can we do to live lives of loyalty? And what does it actually look like for us in this, in this world today, in a world of endless options, opinions, and excuses? What does it look like for us to live loyal? Well, two things. If you want to grow in your integrity, your fidelity, and your consistency and loyalty to Christ, there are two things that you need to be thinking about. First, you need to know who you are now. And the second one is know whose you are Amen. now. Know who you are and know whose you are now. So let's start with know who you are. Who are you? Who are you now? This can seem like a, maybe a bit of a loaded question. It's a loaded question because, because the answer is complicated. You might feel like there are a lot of things that you are. You have a name. You have a job. You have relationships. You have stuff. You have success. You have failure. You have hopes and dreams and fears. Who you are is complicated, no doubt. But let me just say this. While there are a lot of things that might describe you, I believe there is only one thing that defines you. And I want to say this one more time. There might be a lot of things that describe who you are or who you've been, but I believe there's only one thing that defines who you are and who you'll be. You might have a whole laundry list of adjectives that describe you, but only one that, that defines you, and this is from verse 12. If you are a Christian, then you are a holy person that God loves. You are a holy person that God loves. Because of Jesus... This isn't about you. He decided. He did the work. But because of Jesus, you are a holy person that God loves. This is who you are and who you'll always be. And while this side of heaven, there are a number of descriptors that often compete for priority in our hearts and minds, and they convince us that we are who we once were, or who we are, what we do, or we are where we've been, these adjectives can never change the reality of your true identity nor can any past, present, or future descriptors affect the love that God has for you. Now, how is this possible? Check this out in Romans 5. It's not on the screen. Just, just listen. It says this, that when we were utterly helpless, when we had nothing to offer, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. 
For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is who you are now. If you are a Christian, this is who you are now. You are a friend of God forever. And this connection with the creator of the universe is the only thing that can ever define you. You might try. Others might try. But this is the only thing that can ever define you from here to heaven because this is who you are now. So the challenge of knowing who you are is just go be who you are here with undivided hearts. This is the first step to greater loyalty to Jesus. It's knowing who God says you are and who God made you to be, who God claims you as, who God calls you, and just going and, and, and being who you are, really, here with undivided hearts. It's knowing who you are, really. It's knowing who you are. Now, the second thing is to know whose you are. Know whose you are now. Friends, God chose you. We say this a lot, but God chose you, he did. He chose you to be the holy people he loves. He died for you. He called you and saved you and adopted you and welcomed you into his family. This is now home, it's where you belong. You belong to Jesus. Verse three of, of Colossians three says, your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Like it or not, know it or not, you wear the clothes, the covering, and the clothing of heaven now. The kingdom of God is now your home country and requires your pledge of allegiance. So take off the old jersey, put on the new, start rooting for the home team, but what does this look like practically? I would say bringing it back to last week, we said that loyalty to this new life means basically living your life as Jesus did. Well, Paul, he, he breaks this down even further, starting in verse 12, saying essentially, like, instead of living like you once did, you know, wearing the, the sinful nature, living filled with sexual immorality and impurity and lust and greed and idolatry, instead of wearing your sinful nature, Paul's like, you must clothe yourselves with Christ. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is loyalty to Christ. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Let me ask you a question. Does anyone here, has anyone here ever been offended? Is anyone here still holding on to offense? We live, friends, in a culture of offense where the world is constantly focusing on the failures and holding people to their past. Constantly. And they do that so that no one would do it for them. They claim offense first so that no one would claim offense against them. And yet here we see with loyalty to Christ, it says make allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because we aren't perfect. We're on this journey of faith just like everyone else. So make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. This is loyalty to Christ. Now, above all, here it is again, clothe yourselves with love, 
which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, one undivided body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Loyalty to Christ comes when you know who you are and to whom you belong. When you let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your whole heart, your entire life, your whole mind, everything about you, this is loyalty to Christ. This is the life you were saved for. One of absolute fidelity to Jesus. No compartments, no divided loyalties, no being blown about by every random wave of opposition or offense or temptation. Instead, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, to our convictions, to our confession, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And I just need you to understand that your life is safe with Christ. I think about some of the, the problems that was facing this church in Colossae, and it's like, okay, just in case, um, just in case, you know, Jesus wasn't enough to cover my sin, legalists, right? They were like, they're like, oh, I just want to make sure I'm perfect, just in case. Just in case I, that my sin was more than the blood of Jesus would cover. This is legalism, right? Then the mystics were like, man, just in case Jesus it isn't the only, only spirit. It's like, I, I want to make sure that I've got that, a couple other ones available too. And same with the, the synchro, those folks that were dealing with syncretism. It's like, just in case, like if, if Jesus is, okay, Jesus is God, but if he's not all, the only God, or if he's not all God, or if there's something else out there, I just need you to understand that your life is safe with Christ and you can trust him. He is the only one sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is the only one, the Lord of heaven and earth. So all hail King Jesus. Let us be a people, friends. Let us be a people that set our sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in a place of honor. Amen? Let us be a family that knows who we are now, that beyond all secondary descriptions, we only have one definition, because of the saving work of Christ Jesus on the cross. Amen? And finally, let us be a church that faithfully puts on our new nature, clothing ourselves daily with the culture of heaven as we lay everything down on the altar before him and allow the peace of Christ that transcends all understanding to rule in our hearts. Amen? This is the way of Jesus in Colossians 3. Let us follow him. As we close today, I'm going to have Rebecca come up, and she's going to lead us in um, a closing song of just recommitment, a song of loyalty, a song of fidelity and surrender. So if, if you would, just stand with me right now. And I want to pray for you specifically that you would begin to see those compartments in your life that need to be surrendered back to Jesus, that you would take everything and that you'd lay everything down before him today. And as we sing, I just want to encourage you, again, just like sing these words if you know them. If not, sing, uh, let, them, let others sing them over you as an encouragement, as a reminder, and as a challenge. And so let's pray, and then we can uh, sing, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you love us and that you always lead to peace. God, we ask that you would just be with us now as we're sitting in this moment, in this reality of, of remembering the truth of you, 
celebrating who you are and what you've done. God, we ask that you would just be with us now as we, as we pray, as we sing. God, that you would open our eyes to your presence, that you'd soften our hearts, God, that we would maybe for the first time put our, put our trust in you as we, as we are here now and as we are, and we are committed and we are, and we are laying everything down, God. We surrender everything today. God, we want to be loyal to you. We want to be loyal to your house. God, we claim that you are the only God and you are all we need. So God, strip back any divided loyalties we might have. Close up any compartments we might be storing our former things in because we want to be all in with you. God, take our lives and let them be an offering to you. And it's in your name that we pray and we all said, amen.